This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Hook and Landry. Excited that you could join us today and this is episode number two before you know it the season will be over that's how fast it moves and uh i'll tell you what the uh, the thing was that was moving fast over the weekend uh were, were the, the medical uh, professionals and uh you know several key injuries in the nfl and i want to kind of spin that forward a little bit um and I want to talk about how that might affect the college game. But first, let me start, if I can, Chris, how different with with COVID and what went on in the offseason was preparation for the body compared to what it would be in a regular year? It's got to be night and day. Oh, it is. Um, you know, and what we feared, and I know at LandryFootball.com, we've been talking about it all summer. Soft tissue injuries, soft tissue injuries, soft tissue injuries are going to be the biggest factor. It's, it's like having the, the, the ability to withstand the pressure and not getting your body ready is, is what we're seeing. Now, I, look, some injuries, you can't say for certain that this injury would not have happened if we'd have had a normal spring. We, we don't know that. But there are a lot of things – and the data will prove it over time that when you don't prepare your body for the physical contact, when you ultimately have to get there, it's it's going to be more risky. And, and the best way I can describe it is for those that like to run or maybe occasionally like to do those 5Ks or 10Ks or stuff or even run a marathon. How do you prepare for that? Well, you don't go out and after having run in, you know, six months and say, I'm going to run 20 miles today. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> you run, you run whatever pace you are, you run a mile or two or, and you gradually work to that. Well, there's no difference in preparing your body for physical contact. And it's one of the things that I've really tried to harp on a lot in the world of, well, let's don't hit anybody in the off season. All you're doing is creating a more difficult environment for when your body does hit. Now, granted, the more you hit in the off season, the more likely you're going to have injuries in the off season, but the better you can prepare your body. I mean, the way you have to do it is you have to prepare yourself, physically push it back off then push it a little bit more. Same thing you do in any workout or any running you got to rest your body. You got to, you know, certainly hydrate nutrition. 
and go out and do a little bit more the next time in the next. So that's in a normal environment. Now, when you've not even been able to get together and do the the normal stuff that you do, it, it makes it that much more of a challenge. And I do think we're seeing a lot of this. So what you've seen is the best that you can to try to get guys prepared physically for contact um, in some sort of scrimmage, some sort of practices that you can put together without the benefit of preseason, those things affect it negatively. And we normally see a few injuries, quite a few at the beginning of the year. We've seen to the past few years, it was expected that we would have a lot at the beginning of the year. And man, last week and this week in the NFL, my goodness, the severity of the injuries and the number of injuries are, you know, are eye opening. Even when you're prepared for it, Dave, it's, you look at it and you swallow hard and you say, wow, man. That's and, tough. and, and I don't know what to expect out of college. And I, I know they've been playing, the AC's been playing, but, but really we're going to get uh, ramped up over the next couple, three weeks. But I really don't know what to expect out of college because I think there are probably uh, some teams, and I'm going to point to the Pac-12, who never thought they were going to play, and I wonder what they've actually been doing as far as uh, physical conditioning. And there are other teams, like the SEC, they knew they were going to be playing. So I think you could see any variance between the two of, you know, if one team hasn't been working as, as much as they would in a typical offseason, you could see a rash of injuries there. It's just, it seems like a bit of a, I guess, a, an uneven uh, a playing surface as far as uh, who's had the right amount of work. It will be. And I think, you know, cardiovascular work is different, of course, than the physical work. So what have you been doing and how much have you worked to prepare? You're correct. The SEC has had more time to prepare for a season. So I think their chances of having success are a little bit better, um, you know, than, say, the Big Ten, who's now got to cram a lot in. Now, people will say, oh, they've been practicing in the Big Ten. No, they've been doing spring practice type work. They've not been practicing like you would practice during the season. So there are going to be hurdles there. Now, the one thing that college affords you, a larger roster spot, and at least in the case of some teams early on, if you've not played, let's say, Oklahoma against Missouri State. Well, they, they played that game on the point. Well, no, they moved it back. So it was just, it was just last week. Um, they played a lot of guys. And so you, you've got a larger roster in college. And if you play a weaker opponent, you can limit the reps. So you can kind of ease them into it. Whereas you really don't have that opportunity in the NFL with the 53 man roster. And obviously every game is equally important. And you, you know, you just, you only got 16 of those babies and, and, you know, it, it's a, it's a, it's a dog fight. You know, every one of them costs you a great deal. Whereas, you know, in college, you can play a lot of guys on your roster and you can play as many guys as you want at Oklahoma. You're not losing to Missouri state, or if you're even, if you're Clemson, you're not likely going to lose to Wake Forest, even in conference. So I think that's one thing that college can afford you now in, you know, in, um, in the SEC, as they're getting started this week, the one thing that's interesting is that, okay, it doesn't 
you don't have as easy of a go because you're playing an SEC schedule. But if you're Alabama, you got Missouri, who's not nearly as talented. Uh, Georgia's got Arkansas, not nearly as talented. Um, you've got some advantages there to where you can play a lot of guys to kind of maybe get your team a little bit ready. Because college is about, it, at the big-time level, it's about the the three or four games that are going to make the difference in your season, assuming you don't shoot yourself in the foot on a given week that will cost you, like, say, Georgia did against South Carolina last year in a game they probably shouldn't have lost, but they did lose because they were outplayed and, and didn't perform very well. Are you surprised uh, by how much has has changed just in, you know, our first show was last week, but just in two weeks, how the, the Big Ten um, changed its position rather abruptly and even more so the Pac-12 who seemed so against playing. Are, are, are you surprised how fast that flipped? I mean, two weeks ago, it, and correct me if I'm wrong on the timeline, neither one are playing, right? Correct. Correct. No. And look, um, yes. And in retrospect, no. And what I mean by that is I'm, I'm constantly surprised at everything because everything's new and weird this year. But if you look at the timeline and we've talked about it, the Big Ten is this has been rooted in a, a, a political agenda. And when the lawsuit started to take place, Dave, the, 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 they weren't worried about losing a lawsuit. They're worried about what was going to be discovered in the discovery element of it. Meaning as you go out and begin to initiate litigation about Big Ten bylaws and did they take minutes of the meetings or the votes and stuff, I don't think the Big Ten wanted to fool around with that. I think that was going to open up um, a Pandora's box that they didn't want stuff coming out. So I, I think that contributed to that. The other thing, too, is let's not um, fool ourselves in that they, they – the, and I think that was the biggest part. The other thing is there's a bit of an embarrassment going on for the Big Ten. They've, they've kind of been called out here in the sense that everybody seems to be doing fine in playing, and, and not without problems. I mean, Notre Dame had four guys test positive today, and Missouri's got to be – I mean, you're going to have issues. They're playing in the NFL. They're playing in other sports. They're playing in college. They're playing in the Sun Belt in Conference USA, in the American, they're able to figure it out there and you can't figure it out in the Big Ten. And this is starting to, that started to really hit them. I mean, they thought they were going to be the trendsetters of everybody's going to follow with them. And then the SEC is going to be by themselves and the SEC is going to look like fools and they got nobody to play but themselves. Well, it didn't work out that way. So I think that that had something to do with it, but I think the litigation is where we are and is the biggest thing that kind of made this thing go as quickly from a time frame uh, from a couple of weeks ago. Now, I will say this. Look at the restrictions put on if a player tests positive. Dave, it is, I mean, it, I don't know how it's going to be possible for the big 10 teams to get through eight games without having a game that's canceled because what they've got, I mean, you don't have to have it. You just need to be, 
I mean, if you're asymptomatic and you're out for 21 days, I mean, it is a very stringent thing now. And I'm wondering is if the, you know, the president said, Hey, look, we're going to make this so tough that if you cancel a game here or there, you know, they can say, you see, we said all along, we shouldn't play, but you know, we did what you wanted. We, we played, we, you know, so I, I think they're making it very, I think it's going to be very difficult. Look, I'm not being, I know this is sounding very cynical that, and I, You're gonna believe, too long. yeah, <laughs> that's probably so. I do believe everybody theories cynical. I, I do believe that everyone is concerned about the medical welfare of their student athletes. But Dave, these medical policies that they've adopted in the Big Ten last week, those things were available to them two months ago. They've just, it's kind of like somebody always finds religion when they're in trouble, when they need help, right? And I think this is just, okay, this is what we found. And as far as the Pac-12, the Pac-12 was fine following the Big Ten's footsteps. But what are they going to do now? You know, the Mountain West is thinking about coming back. The Mac is thinking about coming back. They're going to be, all of a sudden, instead of, oh, Thanksgiving, well, maybe we can try to do it sooner. Well, they look like fools if they can't do it. And then the governor of California says, hey, wait a minute, because he doesn't want this on his, you know, his hands. He says, well, what do you mean, uh, uh uh, colleges in the 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 uh, in the state of California. No one said you can't play. We, we and so it's like you know it's, I I confess you did it. You know it's like it was one of those you know put it on Larry Scott. So I I think this I, no I could not have predicted it happen this way because as much as I realize that college athletics is born in a lot of disorganization. I, I couldn't have expected this much disorganization would have affected both of these leagues, but I think this is where we are. And I, I do think that the big 10 also sees a path that they've got one team that's got a real national championship um, possibility. And it'll be interesting to see, because I do believe if they, cause they're going, if they get through the schedule, they're going to play then plus one. That'll be enough to get them in. That'll be enough to get an unbeaten Ohio State in, I can tell you. But I do think it puts them behind the eight ball, and I do think the Pac-12 is very, very unlikely because I don't think anyone in the Pac-12, even an unbeaten Oregon or unbeaten anybody, is going to be able to lay claim unless there's just clearly an open spot, meaning we can't find, we can't find four. I just think that it's going to be very, very disadvantageous for them. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's been bizarre, and you still have some leagues that might play in the spring, which I think is actually kind of cool. The Ivy League, they're talking about still playing in the spring. Last I had heard, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. uh, you know those guys aren't probably going to the NFL anyway. You might have three or four guys out of the whole league that say I'm opting out because I'm going to be in the draft. But I, personally. <laughs> I'm kind of excited about that. I mean, guys like you and me, we're going to have football in the spring, which is strange, and it's not going to be in the XFL, which is good. I do want to preview, if we can, some uh, SEC teams since they finally get rolling. And by the way, I think people know my bias. I'm an SEC guy. It it still doesn't really feel like a football Saturday to me without the SEC. So I'm just (laughs) going to lay that right there. 
But I want to bounce around and get your thumbnail sketch of uh, some of the teams that uh, are out there and I think the most intriguing. I'm going to start with LSU. There's no question in my mind they still have a ton of talent, but they also lost a lot. And I think Joe Burrow is a pretty special player. So what's fair expectations for LSU? Well, I, I think that Florida and Alabama are more talented than LSU this year. I, I think that they have better teams. Now, that's a ways away before those games take place. I, I, I don't know. And, and again, you, you don't want to throw everything on. Well, it's COVID. Who knows? But that's kind of the reality. If I look at it, I think that um, – LSU will be good. I think they'll continue to be good. Yes, they are talented. They're young. They're transitioning a lot of guys. I think they'll be young at receiver. They'll be young at running back. Uh, they'll be young on the defensive line. Um, but they're still very talented. But it, when you're talking about contending in the West, I think that's going to be a challenge. I think that Alabama's is better. I think they've got more talent. And, um, I, I, you know, where does that put LSU? They're, they're in the mix in my mind. You know, with Auburn, um, w- with A and uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't think there's a clear number two. I think it's, you know, I could see two, three, and four being, you know, flipped around, and unless something happens to Alabama, I think they're the, they're the team uh, uh, to beat out West. But um, when I look at the rest of the schedule, I mean, you know, it's Mississippi State, it's Vanderbilt, it's Missouri. You know, I think there's a three and zero start there before they go to Florida. Then it's South Carolina, and I would say that you know, like Auburn game and uh, AM game, both on the road for LSU, those are kind of the swing games. Those are the games that you know could make the season be a two-loss season or a four-loss season. Um, and you know, I think it's maybe somewhere in between. So I would say two to three-loss season for LSU is what I would expect. You know, we'll obviously break it down every week if if the teams are completely different based upon COVID and injuries, you know, maybe uh, I think differently in the LSU Florida week or LSU Alabama week, or maybe I think somebody else might be better, you know, than LSU down the road, but that's kind of how I see it. If, if Georgia doesn't take a step this year, um, how hot is the hot seat or is it? Uh, with with Kirby Smart. Now, I know he's a Georgia guy, and that buys you some time. I've seen that firsthand with Philip Fulmer at Tennessee. But at at some point, you start to look at, and I think he's a better coach than Mark Rick. Okay, I'm not saying that, but especially a recruiter. But when you start to compare their records, they're not really that different. Yeah, but when you watch it, it looks different. At least it, does. it looks a lot different, and it feels a lot different. And, you know, I, it, this is not where you give bonus points for coming close or anything. I don't mean that. But when you get to the championship game and, you know, uh, you have a big win in the Rose Bowl, you get to a championship game against Oklahoma, you get to the championship game. And, yeah, I get it. You know, they had Alabama down and out twice and let them off the hook. I, I get it. That's not – that's not what you aspire to getting close, but that shows you kind of where they are. And look, I think that, see, I always look at it. First of all, he's not on the hot seat. I mean, there's like, there's, you know, maybe fan bases may be frustrated or what have you, but not, not, uh, he's not on the hot seat, nor should he be, because I think what you're doing is 
you're looking at a guy that's not only recruiting well, but the team plays pretty well. I do think, though, and this is where maybe people will, will maybe kind of want to throw the baby out with the bathwater, and that is, look, the guy has got a great defense. He focuses on the running game. He needs to do a better job of making sure that the passing game is more of a factor to complement so that they can maybe get to that next step. But look, I mean, losing to Alabama is a lot of people do it. I mean, if I'm looking at the best programs in the country over the past several years, there's no doubt. And I'm not talking about one year. That was LSU last year. But the best programs in the country over the past five years, it's clearly Clemson, Alabama, Alabama, Clemson. And then it's Georgia ahead of Ohio State. I mean, think about that. Why would, I mean, there's nobody that's been in that position. Now, you know, Ohio State hasn't made it to the playoffs. I think Ohio State's in great shape, you know, with Urban and now with Ryan Day. Um, So I think Georgia is, they're in great position. They're also, he's young. He's, you know, Georgia's been unusual. In the Georgia football history, there's been only one head coach hired to be the head coach at Georgia. Jim Donnan, every other head coach, including Vince Dooley, everybody, while everybody was an assistant coach. He's a young assistant, a young assistant coach that became a head coach. And there is a learning curve there. That's to me, I think going to pay off down the road. Now at some point, yeah, if you don't quite get it done, but to me, I think it's a little bit different. And, and I'm not even talking about the Georgia connection with them. The, the program looks healthy and strong and good. And I know, but Chris, we haven't won a championship since 1980. I get it. I do. You're closer than you have been. And I'm telling you, you'd be closer than anybody could get you right now because there are not many guys I'd trade you with. And I think last year is a perfect example of you catch lightning in a bottle with LSU, but LSU's program has been as good as Georgia's consistently over the past five years. Certainly was the best program in the country last year. So I think that the while the frustration's there, I think Georgia's fine. I don't know that this is the year. I don't know that I would put this year's results as a make or break for anybody. It's certainly Kirby has got quite a while, I think, to figure this out and get it to where they want to get it in my mind. And I think they're right there. Just hasn't won at all. The time is on their side. I mean, Nick Saban retires tomorrow. I mean, and we don't know who goes and takes the Alabama job. I mean, what's the program that looks the, you know, I mean, Georgia looks really good. Now let's discuss this in three years. If Florida beats them three years in a row and they don't look the same, then we can have that discussion of, uh Oh, uh oh, this ain't looking good. Florida's the king now. It's not Georgia. That's not the case. I mean, Florida hadn't been competitive against Georgia. Now, Dan is a little bit younger in his tenure, but I got to tell you, Georgia's still quite a bit more talented. And I need to see that program regress by a long, you know, uh, drop before I would say, hey, I'm concerned about Georgia under Kirby. And you said earlier you really like Florida this year, right? I do like Florida. I think they're very good. I think they have a very good team. I think that they 
have an established quarterback, and I think they're kind of finished here. They're not as talented as Georgia. Georgia's loaded on defense. It may be the best defense in the country. We'll see. Um, they'll be able to run the football very, very well. I still think, you know, here's the thing about it. Georgia has a tougher schedule. I think Alabama's going to beat Georgia. I think Georgia's going to beat Florida. So, I mean, I think Georgia's going to win out based on that. But, again, I apologize for keep saying it again. What if something stupid happens? Like Georgia side, if I was going to criticize Kirby in the Georgia program under Kirby, what was that against South Carolina last year? You had no answer. That that that's that's but you know everything else is like hey look I you know I, I but if Georgia who's got Auburn the second week, Tennessee the third week before Alabama, if they drop a game to Alabama and then maybe they lose another game because of weird circumstances, maybe that's not indicative of how good they are. Well, then Florida could get in even with a loss to Georgia. You know, possibly. So that's what we really don't know. But if I were to look at it, because I can't forecast some of the other things that could happen that's beyond football, I can tell you that this Georgia team is more talented than Florida. And and I think we've seen quite a bit of a distance uh, between the two. And I got to see that gap close with Florida against Georgia this year before I'm convinced that Florida is ready to overtake Georgia, just like I'm got to be convinced that Georgia is ready to overtake Alabama. That's kind of how I see the pecking order in the league. <clears throat> this, this is going to sound mean, but if Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart sit down to play a game of chess, who wins? I think Dan's better as a, <laughs> as a, as a, as a but they're different now. They're completely right. different coaches. Dan is a great quarterback developer and he's great with offense great offensive game plans, and he's got designates well on defense, and they got great athletes on defense. I think this is the challenge for Kirby. Kirby is a really good developer of talent on defense. He's a very good defensive coach, and they really teach the running game very well, and they focus on that. I'll repeat myself and say, if he doesn't figure out how to become more effective with the passing game, then what I said about Kirby is going to gradually tear away at the seams and he's going to become a younger version of Les Miles, so to speak. And I don't think that's what Kirby's going to do. I think Kirby is going to address that and become a little bit better. But, you know, I think that, that Dan Mullen gets a little bit more out of his talent and he has done that. And I think he did it at Mississippi State. I think he's done a good job at Florida. But... I will say this again. I'll repeat this last year is not this year. I want to see it this year. Florida wasn't even competitive against Georgia last year, coaching personnel. And sometimes we get into that. Well, it it ain't Kirby's coaching. It's just got a lot of talent, but Dan is really smart and he doesn't have, you know, the reality is I thought Florida was outplayed and outcoached against Georgia last year. And that's got to change. But I do think that Dan Mullen's outstanding. And if they can get to where Florida can recruit at a top five level nationally, like Georgia, that's when Florida is going to make a difference. That's where Florida can maybe overtake Georgia or be neck and neck with them. They're not any closer, Florida is, to Georgia than Michigan has been to Ohio State, if you want to look at it. 
The only difference is Dan hadn't been there very long. So it's unfair to say, well, you know, give Dan another year or two. He might be there, whereas Harbaugh's had plenty of time and has not been able to get close to where Ohio State is. So that's the unfair part of that comparison. But just based upon where they are, and Kirby's been there longer, Georgia's right now a better program and more talent until otherwise noted. Who's the third best team in the in the East? You know, it's a great question, and I'm not sure that um, I have a clear answer for you. My first thought would be um, Kentucky, uh, maybe a little bit over Tennessee, a uh, little bit more experience, but I do think that it's Kentucky and Tennessee. I'm concerned about South Carolina, um, and I know Missouri and, and Vanderbilt are, are, are going to really struggle, but um, I would say that right now it's a toss-up between Kentucky and Tennessee for me. And I really think – I want to see Kentucky go up against Auburn and I want to see Tennessee play South Carolina, and I, I want to see it progress. But, um, I listen, I, I there's nobody that does more and gets more out of his program in this league. It's the ultimate developmental program in this league, and that's Mark Stoops at Kentucky. And they're starting to develop on the offensive line. They develop good running games every year. They're very good defensively. They're very sound on gap control. I mean, they're always in position to make plays. They're just so well coached, and they've been there a long time to be able to to be real effective. And I think those are the things that jump out at me. I want to see Jeremy, who's got a very young team. I want to see Jeremy Pruitt take this Tennessee team from the get-go and kind of get it going where it's going. They very well might be better than Kentucky. I just don't know it yet right now. So that's my answer. I'm going to blindside you just a little bit. We, we typically focus more on college, but um, it was December the 18th, 1992, where a much younger uh, Dave Hooker took um, uh, 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 a uh, young lady on a first date and uh, we were able to see the Cowboys beat the Falcons and uh, that ended up being <laughs> my uh, my current wife so um I'm, I'm glad that ended out well I was a little yeah. bit worried I was about to say and then I dumped her and then met my wife I was glad that went well she got grounded for past curfew but anyway that's, that's another story and um but that game was just absolutely dominant. That's when the Cowboys were at their best. I think it was 38 to 13. It wasn't close. And then I look back at the game yesterday and literally, Chris, unless I'm traveling or something, I have given up on maybe six Cowboy games in my life since that moment where I just said, I'm frustrated and I went to take a nap. So my son bust in and he said, the Cowboys just got the onside kick and they're down two. I'm like, yeah, man, you're watching a rerun from years ago or something crazy. So that onside kick is probably one of the 10 dumbest plays that I've ever seen. And I'm just curious with your coaching background, having a little insight, what, what play stands out to you over the course of your career where you're like, what in the world was that guy thinking? Is there one in particular that stands out? Well, 
I tell you what, there there are a few that just kind of jump up, but I I'd like to address this one because that one is <laughs> really as a coach frustrated me because this is really important to understand and and, and I you don't know the answer to this until you're in that building. So clearly, you know, the whole thing, well, you got to let it go 10 yards. The, the receiving team does not <laughs> need to let it go 10 yards. Okay. Now you better recover it because if you go to recover it and it hits and it bounces off you and it doesn't go 10 yards, then it's free to be recovered from the kicking team. Right. So there is a little bit of, I'll give a little bit of a, of a leniency towards you're making a snap judgment. It's kind of like the equivalent of a, of a slow grounder on third base, whether to, you know, it's going to be tough to make the throw and maybe take a chance, you know, if, eh, probably, you know, can I, can I field it and throw him out or do I take a chance that it rolls out and then, you know, like foul? I, yeah, foul. Okay. So, <laughs> this is one of those cases where you've you've got to be able to it, it was executed wrong. Why was it executed wrong? Was it not communicated well? Was it communicating the guy's panic? But the way you have to do it, and this is a podcast, so I'm gonna describe it as it is coming to you. You've got to have your two shield guys on each side go in front of the ball as it passed to shield the defensive, the, the kicking team's players from coming to allow your guy to be able to go in and cover it. Before it goes 10 yards, it makes a clean cover. You've got to be able to go and cover that. You can't let it go 10 yards because the longer you let it go, the closer the kicking team can get even with you to make that cover. It was a complete disaster of execution and an embarrassment that you just don't know. Um, I that was really bad. I think <clears throat> I have seen and had a player one time just let a kick go, a kickoff go. <laughs> I've seen that where it just you obviously they know the rules, but you have you know everyone makes fun of it, and I get it. And we're pub- but you know you ever been somewhere and you I don't know you go to the store and you forget what you needed to get, or you, you forget where you're going or whatever. All of a sudden they're in their mind. They're thinking it's a punt and they're letting it go. And they just let it go. And it just, it goes in there. I think it's a punt. I think it's a punt for a second. There's a mental block. They think it's a punt. It's a kickoff. It's a free recover. <laughs> and I've seen it just, just cover it up in the end zone for a touchdown. I mean, that's, that's worse because that is the ultimate gift and you don't even need to earn it. You just run down and just, yeah, that's the one. But, but this one was devastating. I think for the Falcons, look, the Falcons, this is not just a one case scenario. This was a case where the Cowboys gave the game to the Falcons on a silver platter. The part of the game before you took a nap, all those turnovers, the Falcons, oh, yeah, no, I'll watch that part. Yeah, and the, and the Falcons just, just, just squandered it away, and then at the end they collapsed. Well, this is you know not all the same team, but same staff and everything that blew the Super Bowl infamously to Tom Brady and the Patriots. 
they they last year started one in six and ended up like six. I mean, they just they just unbelievable finish to the second half of the year. So there's a buildup, there's a frustration level, there's a a lot of angst about Dan Quinn. And when you collapse like that in the fashion that you did it, you know the optics of it, just that game, I will say, for that coaching staff, it's going to be very difficult to overcome. Yes, even in a COVID year. They're going to have to turn it around and play well, like immediately and make the playoffs and put and make people forget about this game because the longer you have a loss, even in a standard way, is going to go back to a loss like this and make it make it very difficult. Because remember, Arthur Blank was ready to clean house last year and would have if they had not completely turned it around. So, my friend, that was that was a weird one. That was a weird <laughs> one, and that was a gift. That was a gift to all Cowboy fans and and Jared Jones. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Um... I don't want anybody to lose their job. I really don't. But uh, I'll tell you my all-time favorite dumb play. Uh, this was in the uh, U.S. Army All-American game. And you remember a guy named Deshaun huh. Jackson. I do. I do. <laughs> I do. Deshaun, he, obviously, the NFL. Go, go ahead. I, I remember this now. And, and, and he actually he did it twice in the NFL where he dropped the ball before he was in the end zone. That, Once against the, the Cowboys. That, that – those – those are really, really dumb. And maybe, maybe you could tell me if you think is that dumber than the you think it's a punt and it's a kick. That's dumb. That's a mental block. But when you something about high stepping and showboating to where you release the ball before it goes. University of Miami almost did it against Louisville the other night, too. Again. I yeah. don't know how many times that has to happen before they figure out you can't do that knucklehead. That's that is the ultimate knucklehead dumb move. But go ahead, uh, dude, explain well, to Sean because yeah, do you remember it? He dove I do from, remember it. He dove from the five and head first, and he's got the ball out. Well, he didn't jump far enough, so the ball lands on about the one. He rolls. And loses the ball. Of so course. the the poor officials, I felt worse for the officials. They didn't know what to call. They didn't know if the ball was down. They didn't know where to spot it. I think it ended up being a turnover. But I have never in my life laughed so hard in a press box that I cried. And I literally, I literally cried. Um, but anyway, uh, so Cowboys won, so all's right with the world. Hey, uh, I tell you what, Chris, I will talk to you in a week, and we'll have SEC football to talk about. How sweet is that? Uh, we will. We'll be able to break down some of the games, see how they look. So we'll be able to do that next week. Hey, enjoy it, Dave. Yeah, I appreciate it. Hook and Landry, we'll talk to you next week. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.